at the bridge. Um, That's very Bellingham. But at least one person claps, and everyone else is like, I would have clapped, but I was holding my latte. Okay, with that being said, would you guys open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13? As you're turning there, I would like to pray. He's not wrong. (laughs) I would like to uh, pray and ask for God's blessing on this time of teaching. Father, we thank you for this morning. And as we bring um, our praises to you, oh gosh, thank you so much for our worship team. Thank you so much for our worship teams and the people that are committed to taking time out of their day and their week to come together to practice, to go through a set list and pray together that we would show up on Sunday and simply join in to what you have been doing in their hearts all week. We don't take that lightly. We don't just show up and, and uh, consume something that's been given, but there has been thoughtful prayer into all of that. And we're thankful for our teams that, um, that want to lead us into spaces of worship with you, Lord. And we thank you for that time this morning. Um, and, and true to what we said, this is the air I breathe. May, may this be part of our spiritual breathing. We take in your word, Lord. Your word is life. Your word is light. It illuminates our, it illuminates our heart. It, il- it illuminates a path in front of us. And it, it shines light on the dark things of this world. We need all of the illumination your word gives. And so, Lord, we ask that our eye would be good, that we would take in um, your word in your light so it would illuminate all things, Lord God. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Last week... We started this little mini-series within the book of Mark. Uh, The book of Mark, we're going all the way through it, and we're winding down. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, where he's in Jerusalem. He came in what's known as the Triumphal Entry, or Palm Sunday. The following Sunday, we celebrate as Easter the Friday at the end of the week is known as we, we um, remember Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. He, he had a, an illegal trial. He was falsely convicted. He was beaten. And then he had to drag a cross up a hill where he was nailed to it and, pl- and, and placed for all who would pass by to see the Son of God nailed to a cross, enduring the wrath of God, the punishment from God for what sin does to the world. This is Jesus' last week. And the, and the Bible says that he did, it didn't take him by surprise, but that he was willing to endure all of this on your behalf and on mine. This is the time frame that we're talking about. In the middle of that week, on about a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I'm leaning towards a Tuesday, but somewhere in there, Jesus had his final teaching in the temple, the Temple Mount, where he was the great teacher, the rabbi that had a big, people followed him, and he left the temple the last time he would teach there uh, before he would go to the cross. And they turn around, and his disciples say, Lord, or look at the temple. So magnificent. And he, start, he begins a teaching which we know now as the Olivet Discourse. It's this teaching that Jesus gives as they're leaving the temple. They come up to the Mount of Olives, which is actually across the valley, the Kidron Valley, and a little bit higher. I can see it in my mind's eye, and I can't wait to put my feet on it so I can see it in my eye's eye. And then look across the valley and be like, oh, man, this is where Jesus was standing when he said this or when this happened. Who wants to go to Israel? All right, start saving. (laughs) It's like four grand or something like that. Um, And let's put it on the books. Let's let's go. All All right. All right, then. Yeah. 
We'll partner with another church and we'll go. It'll be fun. What year is it? 2022. Like 2024, we should go. Okay. All right. Let's, we're doing it. I just did it. Put it on the calendar. Where's Caitlin? Make a slide. I want to announce it next week. Okay. So they're on the, the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus begins, which Mark records for us in chapters 13, 13, all of 13. If you look, all those words are red if you have a red letter Bible because it's all Jesus. It's the longest teaching, that Je- the most words Jesus says in the book of Mark, right there, chapter 13. And so we took, we're taking three weeks to really look at these because we want to understand what Jesus is saying in light of their context, the things that happened shortly after this, about 40 years later, and then things that we believe as followers of Jesus are still to come in the future. Last week we did a message called Signs of the Times, meaning there are things, this is what the world looks like in the later days. And so Jesus was talking to these four Jewish men in their context. He's also talking to a hundred and whatever people in Bellingham in, in 2022. And these things apply to us and they, they, they have to do with our lives as well. So we ask questions like, well, what applied to them? What applies to us? Is there carryover that it's for them and us? Is there stuff being talked about in here that's not for them or us, but for other people? And so people have been talking about this discourse and things teaching about the end of the world forever and ever. And there's different opinions. Remember last week I said, imagine if I came up here and I took a thousand piece puzzle and I just threw it across the stage. And then you just went randomly and you started picking up pieces and you're trying to put them together. Well, throughout the Bible, there's lots of pictures or pieces given about things that will be at the end of days. They're on purpose. God gives them for a reason. So we know that he does, like, uh, like was said, he's got it all, like Melinda said, God's got it all factored in. And he shows us because he gives us glimpses of things before they happen to show that he's not caught by surprise. He, as a matter of fact, he knows what's going to happen. And the way we pick these pieces up and we start putting them together is the way we interpret the passage and it's been known as, in, in churchy words, your eschatology. The way you put the pieces together given in the Bible is, what you, is, is how you think things will happen in the, in the last days. So last week, signs of the times. This week, called this message, signs of the end. So in Mark chapter 13, let's start in verse 14. Jesus still speaking, he says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it might not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone say to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Verse 23. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Just a little bit of light reading for a Sunday morning. Has anyone ever been to Magic Mountain? 
let's take something heavy and make it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Everyone's like, no. <laughs> I went to Magic Mountain one time. And um, remember when you get, so Magic Mountain, for the hands that didn't go up, it's a roller coaster in California. Uh, is Magic Mountain's at Disneyland, right? Right. So you get in it after a four and a half hour wait. And you sit down in the roller coaster. And if you're like me, you got to go in the front cart. That's where the action is. And then they take you around a corner, and you start going up this thing, and then this light shines on you. Basically, it's a roller coaster with all these light shows and things going on around you. But you know what you can't see? The track. Can't see the track. You're just going. It's like this way, that way, up and down. You never go upside down, but you're all over the place. Well, I was on Magic Mountain one time, and the roller, it broke down. On the day I was there, we rode it like... I don't know, eight times or something. And on one of the times it broke down, so we came to a stop, and we were sitting there, and then all of a sudden, the lights came on. You want to take something cool and make it such a buzzkill like that, turn the lights on on Magic Mountain, because I looked around, and it's kind of what I thought it was. It's this super tight, enclosed, it's this dome, and it's this roller coaster, and you look around, and the track is all around you. You're just inner. It's not cool at all when you can see everything, and you're just like, "Oh, this is what it is." And then the, it had to stay off, or the lights stayed on, and they we had to evacuate the coaster, and we walked out. And it, Magic Mountain was just never the same. I saw it. I saw what was really going on behind the scenes. This is what Jesus is doing here, actually. He's showing us what is really going on behind the scenes. The Bible says that we who are here in this room and are breathing oxygen and are uh, what we would call alive at the moment, it says this about our whole human experience. We only see part of the picture. The Bible says we look dimly as through a dark glass. You ever look through a bottle? Like you can see, but it's sort of distorted. But that distortion is our reality. This is what we see clearly. And then it says, there is coming a time where you will see clearly. It comes after our, bre- our last breath here. And we take our first breath in what we would call eternity or in the presence of God. We will see things As Jesus sees them, we'll see the whole picture. But in the meantime, we have the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. And throughout the scriptures, we're given little pictures of behind the scenes. And we start looking at these pictures and overlaying them on top of each other. And they start to form a bigger picture, like I talked about last week, a mosaic. And if we see anything other than the person and work of Jesus were putting these pictures together wrong. So it's no different when we come to things talking about the end. We're starting, Jesus is giving us some pictures, but it's not to have us know like how good our, our piece fitting together is or what we call certain pieces. It's are we seeing Jesus in the midst? You guys see what I'm saying? So I want to talk before we break this down about things to avoid. Now, I'm going to talk to people who have been walking with Jesus for a while first. I'm going to talk to all of us. I want to talk about things to avoid when interpreting passages like this. Because a lot of harm can happen from interpreting passages from the two ways I'm going to talk about. So the first thing is we want to avoid when interpreting the Bible, because there are different ways to interpret passages like this. First one, we want to, or here's what they are. We want to avoid anarchy and what I'll call tyranny. Here's what uh, interpreta- anarchy interpreting looks like. So when you sit down with a group, a, a room full of people, and everyone says this, well, this passage means to me that... And you just share like how it makes you feel. 
well, I feel like this is what it means. And then someone else says, well, I feel like this is what it means. And then, so then it becomes, well, the word, it means whatever you want it to be in the moment. It creates chaos, especially within a group. And it doesn't, Jesus meant for it to mean something. So it can't mean something different to everyone. Although the spirit of God speaks to us and has different emphasis, that can be sort of, it can kind of create chaos. What does it mean? Does it mean any one thing or just whatever anybody wants? The other thing we want to avoid is tyranny. You guys know what tyranny is? It's um, an oppressive system uh, led by one person. I am the only one who knows what the passage really means. So the people around you, they're like, oh, it seems to mean this, but there's always this one authority. And I would never, I would never want you guys to think that I would stand up here and be like, and that person is me. I love how humble I am. There are things, I'll be totally honest with you guys, that I read and I'm like, you know what? I don't know exactly how that fits with this. And I'm okay with that. Took me a long time to get there, but I'm okay with it. You want to know why? Will you skip down in your Bible in in chapter 13? Will you skip down to verse 32? Because Jesus says this. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but the, but, nor the Son, but the Father only. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to tie up this mini-series with what do we do in the meantime? What's the main thing? What is Jesus teaching these disciples We'll, we'll do that next week. There are certain pieces of the puzzle. I feel like over my time following Jesus, I've learned through reading the Bible, other teachers, pastors that I've been under, people that, have come, that God's brought into my life along the ways, how to look at these different things, put them together, and hopefully form a clear picture of Jesus. But there are certain things that I don't know how this fits I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And so it would be really wrong, and I've seen it cause a lot of damage when one person stands up and says, I, this is the right way. Everybody who doesn't think like this doesn't know as much. Because what happens with tyrannical systems is they create, um, did I even write it? That's okay. They create division. They create um, uh, a, spirit, a spirit of pride and dominance. It's kind of like if you don't think the way I think, you don't think good enough. And it runs rampant throughout the church, especially when talking about things like this. People will divide and go to different churches, create different denominations, do all sorts of stuff for the way they interpret scriptures like this. And there are different interpretations, and there's some really good arguments and defenses of different interpretations. But Jesus is saying, if you put all this stuff together and it causes more division than unity, I'm saying you're putting it together wrong. So we want to put it together correctly as best we can. So starting in our, in our I just want to say that because it's important to me, and there are different ways to interpret this passage. And at the bridge, we don't want chaos. This is what it means to us. And we don't want this, like, this is the only thing that it can mean. So we're going to take, take this, we're going to walk it through, and see what Jesus is speaking of in the context here and to us. So he says, in 13, all that to be said, let's check out this, this verse, these verses. Verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be. The disciples said, 
Lord, look at the temple. So awesome and big. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, all of these stones are going to, excuse me, the walls are going to come crumbling down. And they were like, when? And what will be the signs? When and what? That's what they asked. Jesus said the what last week, signs of the times, labor pains, they become increasingly more and quicker and faster and more painful, and then birth happens. So it will be like labor pains. There will be some things going on, and then here's the the intensity and frequency in which they're happening. And then that's the, the, the what, and then he does a when right here. Jesus used Daniel as a, as a reference point for the first century believers to have some framework what they were going to see. So this abomination of desolation. If you go back and you look at the book of Daniel, and for you Bible students today, you're going to be stoked, and some people are going to be like, whoa, that was deep, but that's okay. Deep is good. It's where the, something about deep water. What's good about deep water? where the big fish live. Um, it's good to go deep every once in a while because uh, we can see how big and in control God is. In the book of Daniel, you read um, towards the end in chapters uh, 7 and 9 and, and 12, um, he's, he's given a vision. And this vision comes to pass in 167 B.C. when a Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem. Historical figure, uh, huge ruling king. When he conquered the city of Jerusalem, he erected an altar to Zeus, the pagan god, in the temple where... Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, was worshipped. He, he put up a big temple of Zeus. He slaughtered a pig, which was a, an unclean animal, on the altar, and he made the priests drink the pig's blood. That's a tyrant. So let's backtrack two minutes. What does a tyrant look like? This looks like a tyrant, an oppressive system dominating others. That's what happened in 167 B.C. And Jesus said, when you see this, something that has already happened, everything we read last week happened in the first century disciples, happened to the first century disciples. Everything we read last week is historical. You will be handed over to councils. You will be on trial your family will turn against you. These things, all that we read, that's all happened. A lot of people think, so what we read this week, that all happened too. So when we read these things, regardless if you lived in 167 BC or 70 AD, Or you live in America where we can't relate to all of this stuff when we talk about temples or when someone stands here, we put it all as either historical, it happened in the past, or metaphorical, it must mean some sort of spiritual thing. But when Jesus says this, he takes what is historical, what could be metaphorical, and he makes it um, future. He makes it eschatological. I think that's how you say it. Because there's some stuff that happens or some stuff that doesn't happen in either of these times. In 167 B.C. when the temple was um, demolished or in 70 A.D. which we spent all last week talking about when Rome came in. There's some things that Jesus said. There's some pictures given throughout the rest of the scripture that didn't happen in either one of those times. So when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he says, let the reader understand, then these things will take place. He moves it from historical to future. This is what that means. There is going to be a generation of people that is going to see things happen with greater intensity, greater frequency, and a greater finality 
than any generation that's ever gone before. We love to argue about when, who, how many, but what we know for sure is there's going to be a time that, like Jesus is talking, where there are some things that are going to happen that are going to give signals that we are getting real close. So there must be something else. We get clearer pictures of all of this by taking other books of the Bible. Anyone ever had heard of the book of Revelation? All right. So people think the book of Revelation is like the play-by-play of the end of the world, and it's not. It reveals more about who God is than what's going to happen as a play-by-play, here's how the end of the world. It's called the Revelation. It reveals, it's a piece of the puzzle, actually a lot of pieces. You know when you're putting together a puzzle and you get on a roll and you, you pick out all the yellow things? You're like, yellow. And you put them all together and you're like, oh, it's flowers. And you have a big chunk of it, but that still fits somewhere. You guys know what I'm saying, puzzle people? All right. That's like the book of Revelation. There's, it's a lot of pictures put together that fits somewhere, but it's not a play-by-play. But if you take the book of Revelation, you take the book of Daniel, you take certain parts of the book of Isaiah, you take the, the Olivet Discourse, you take things taught in the New Testament by Paul, We'll talk about one of them today. You take all of these different things and they start to come together and they form a picture. The picture is this. Jesus has got it all factored in. He talks about things as being final because Jesus says, I am the alpha, like before the beginning, that's me. And I am the omega. That means I, when, all, when you think all things end, I'm still there. That's what he's saying. I've got it all factored in. They add pictures to the mosaic, but today we get a, they, they tell us about a time frame in a person. When Jesus says the abomination of desolation, that's what he's giving us, a time frame in a person. We are told throughout the rest of the scripture that when this event happens, the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And it talks about what pe- how people are supposed to respond to this event. We are told, and we, as we put things together, that this event is talking about a period of time that is coming in the future called the Great Tribulation. It is the same time frame that was given that foretold when Jesus would enter Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. Did you know that? Did you know that the the Palm Sunday that we celebrate uh, the week before, I mean, we're not going to celebrate it till next spring, but let's be real. We can celebrate it any day we want to because Jesus, he is the only king forever. We sang it this morning. We tricked you into celebrating Palm Sunday today. But that time frame was given to Daniel. He was foretold that there was this time frame coming. And then the clock started ticking when we did our remnant series. And that in Ezra, when King Xerxes came in and gave the Jews permission to go back to Israel and rebuild the temple, that started a clock. And you can count down from the day to when that order went out to the day Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey was down to the day that was foretold hundreds of years before it happened. That time frame was given, also told of this separate seven-year period that was had an un, undisclosed amount of time in between G- when Jesus would come in to um, Jerusalem and when this last seven-year period would begin. But it's there, and we're given. So people are like, well, it's going to be here, or it's going to be here. It'll look like this, and this is what's going to happen, and here's where the church will be, and here's how many people get to make it through, and people start adding all, you know, bring in all this stuff. 
but we know for sure it speaks of a seven-year period of time. And in this seven-year period of time, according to Daniel in the book of Revelation, there would be a person that would come on the scene, make a treaty with the nation of Israel, allow them to rebuild the temple, because remember, Jesus gave this, but in 40 years, the temple was going to get torn down. Not one stone would be left onto another. But there would have to be a temple in place for these next things that he's going to say. Because when this person comes in where they ought not to be, which is in the midst of the temple that was going to get torn down in 40 years, there needed to be a temple for it to happen. So this person's going to, so it gives a person and a time frame. Are you guys with me? You're doing good. Open your eyes. Go like this, everybody. You can do it. It's important. Allow them to rebuild the temple and start making daily sacrifices again. I was reading a commentator this week, and he actually made a point that I'd never thought of. He goes, what do you think that that's going to look like when they start making sacrifices again with, like, the animal rights activists and stuff now? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. You don't really think about it. But back then, if you read the Old Testament, when a great victory would happen and people were worshiping, you know what? They would raise two hands when they sang worship songs, and then... You know, you're like, yeah, we were really worshiping. And they might give a tithe to the, to the, or an offering to the offering box. God, you're so good. But then it would say like, and then they sacrificed 4,000 lambs, 1,000 bulls, and 50, you know, a bunch of chickens. They didn't really do chickens, but they do lambs. And you're just like, dang, there's a lot of bloodshed. Um, all that leading up to the sacrifice when Jesus had his bloodshed for us, but it says that it's going to happen again. And the abomination of desolation, that one sentence right there, happens directly in the middle of that seven-year period. So now we take what is theological. God created the world. God knows when it's going to end. Here's signs of the times, and Jesus says, when you see this one event, when he does that, he takes and he brings in a whole bunch of time frame. So you'd be like, the abomination of desolation, that was written about here. It spoke of this king. It spoke of this king. But here's what he's saying. It's going to be different, and it happens right in the middle of a seven-year period. Now you read the book of Revelation. And when you read about one who is going to come on the scene, who's going to make a treaty with Israel for seven years... But then he's going to do this very thing where a person stands in the temple and, and demands people to worship him. It says when that happens, things change. They go from good to the worst. Earth becomes the worst place it's ever been or ever will be. When they see that, they're supposed to flee. Here's a little homework reading. Go read Revelation chapter 12 this week. Now, it doesn't say there's a man and a woman, or a, a man and a nation of Israel. It says there is a woman and a dragon. There are dragons involved. But it says this. That great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So the dragon is personified as this one who will do this thing. So Jesus is saying the devil will actually be here in the form of a person and is going to deceive the whole world. That didn't happen in 167 B.C. That didn't happen when Rome conquered and blew up the temple, blew it up, however they did it, in 70 AD. There are things that are going to be different and more severe at the end than those other times. All that to say, there are things that are still yet to happen. So what needs to happen for the world to end? I've heard lots of stuff the past couple years. Does there need to be a virus? Does there need to be... Someone selected to office? Does it, what needs to happen? What are the signs 
of the age. Well, there's a lot of pieces in the New Testament. Let's look at, let's just look at, um, let's look at this. All of the evil that started in Genesis chapter 3 will eventually be embodied in a single person. What was in Genesis chapter 3? The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, things as, as God designed them, and then a serpent, one that was cunning, one that tricked what people were thinking, how we thought, how we saw, and how we wanted to govern ourselves. And that's why in Revelation chapter 12 where it says, the serpent is the dragon. The dragon is the devil, the deceiver and the accuser. Jesus is saying at this time he will perform signs and wonders to make people think that he's awesome and that he knows what's up, but the whole intent is to fool people. And Jesus is saying, heads up for that. Since the beginning of God's creation, there has been opposition to him and his program. The opposition is not a force or a mindset or a rival kingdom like on earth. It's not another country that wants to do their ways and and then there's battle. It is personified in an individual, the personification of evil, not just the effects of evil, but the person behind it behind all of it, and one day this person won't go after an earthly kingdom, but all earthly kingdoms, and he will be the leader, and he will proclaim to be the savior, and then the devil will get what he always wanted. You guys know what the devil wants? He doesn't want more pitchforks. He doesn't want to be have a longer tail, or he wants to be worshipped, as God. So what he's wanted from the beginning, that's what he that's what he wants and when he stands in the temple, takes away the sacrifice and says, "You worship me." That's what he's saying. He's going to finally receive what he's wanted from the beginning, and that's to be worshiped as God. That's why the biggest temptation on this world is for us to be our own gods and lead ourselves as opposed to follow God and submit to his leadership and his rule. That's the biggest, the biggest trick. And it will be in that moment that leads to desolation because those that follow him and actually do what he says, they'll realize the lights will be turned on in Magic Mountain. And they'll be like, oh, dang it. Fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker says when that happens, it's going to get real bad. He's going to go from your best friend to your worst enemy, and it's going to be real bad for those that are left. That's why there's parentheses that says, let the reader understand. There are some that are going to read this and be like, oh. Or it'll bring clarity because it's going to be future from us. All right, let me end it with two application points. (laughs) Jesus' word to his people is this. No matter how bad the signs of the times are, no matter how hard life is, he is working all things together to bring about a new birth of humanity. He created all things. In him all things exist. There is opposition to these things. The way things are now. What was our song last week? It's the end of the world. And I feel fine. Okay. So it's the end of the world as you know it. Jesus will continue. But as we know it, things are going to come to an end. Not on someone else's time frame or say, but according to Jesus, he has it factored in. The first century disciples needed reassurance. When they stood on that mountain, literally, and Jesus says, I'm gonna, let me tell you, these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen. When you see this happen, flee. It's going to be hard. There are things coming that are going to be difficult. 
but know that I have, that's why he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So no matter what you face, God has it factored in. 21st century disciples need the same reassurance. I want to reassure some of you that no matter what happened to you in the past, God has it. He knows the things that that lay ahead. And he wants you to know, be of good cheer. I know you have faced many tribulations, many hardships, many things that when, when you feel like they should have gone left, they went right. But take heart. He has overcome the world. And not only to first century disciples or 21st century disciples, but all who were before them and all who come after. The entirety of human existence needs to know that we don't necessarily fit here. Ever since sin entered and pain entered and confusion entered, we don't fit that we're made in the image of God. And there's been a sense that we don't belong or we are exiled here until God creates all things new again. But we need to be reminded that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why he says in that last verse, verse 23, be on guard for I have told you all things beforehand. Remember Jesus said one of the things that the Holy Spirit was going to do more than anything else was to remind us of stuff we already knew. You ever heard, you don't know how much you love someone until you let them go. And then you realize, oh, dang. Or you don't miss what you had till it's gone. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that comes along and says, remember. You don't have to, you don't have to lose this thing to realize how good it is. Be on guard. I have reminded you all things beforehand. So I want to guard your, guard your hearts with two truths today. With all of this stuff that's being said, how do all the pieces play, the abomination of desolation, all of these different things, what Jesus is saying to his disciples then, and he's saying to us here, is he wants to guard our hearts with a couple of truths. The first one is this. God knows the number of your days. My mom died suddenly last year. I got the phone call. That was it. I didn't get to say goodbye. I got to go and be with her physically, spiritually, and mentally. She was already gone. Um, I laid in bed that night, flew to Hawaii, middle of COVID. I don't know. I still don't know how I got on the plane. Steph made some phone calls. I was at work. I'm on a plane. I'm flying to Hawaii, land in Honolulu, go to the hospital, ICU, go through all the stuff, like mid-COVID, like people are in like zippered, you know, it's not like you pull the curtain back. It was like full. It was like, dude, are we in a movie? You know, it just felt so odd. And then I walked around the corner, and there she was. And the, when I first laid eyes on her, I was I, the first thing that went through my mind was, she's not here. I, could, I just, I was like, I was like looking, you know, I was like, that's her body. But anyways, I was like, she's not here. And then they, they give me like the 411 on everything she's going through, and they use all these terms that I don't understand. And I was like, dude, could you have like a janitor or somebody that, that knows how to speak to me that could come in here and like tell me what's really happening? I was like, please stop using big words. Just talk to me. And they were like, she's not here. Um, I'm like, oh, this is what they mean by pull the plug. Like when you hear like people, like you can keep someone's body alive. Anyways. I'm sitting there, and I was like, I got to think. I need to pray. I need to, like, because it's just like, boom, all of a sudden, here's your reality. When you see these things. So I went back to my hotel room, and I was laying there, and I was praying. And I'm like, Lord, I don't really know, like, what to pray. What am I supposed to pray? Heal her. She seems like she's already gone. If you would heal her, 
And I just, I remember going, Lord, just let me know. I was laying there for a while talking to my sister and trying to, and I was like, just let me know you have her. You just let me know. I, I, that's what, that's, that, I'm like, that's what's most important. Would you let me know she's with you? Please, Lord, just let me know she's with you. When I said that, let me know she's with you. Ring, ring, ring. It's like part of the conversation. The phone rang in a hotel room in Honolulu who's got my number. And I pick it up, and they're like, is this Jason? I was like, yeah. And they're like, hey, just want you to know uh, your mother just passed. Lord, please let me know you have her. She's gone. But God knows the number of our days. Do you understand? So whether it's a head injury, a heart attack, or the battle of Armageddon at the end of the world, God knows the number of your days. So guard your heart. May that comfort your heart. He knows the days that are appointed to your loved ones. He knows the days that are appointed to your dog. Not one bird falls to the ground apart from the knowledge and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Jesus' victory in the past and Jesus' victory in the future gives us what Jesus was aiming for in this, confidence to live victoriously in the present. Some of you feel like the world is out of control. And some of you have been preached at The world is out of control. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Pull your kids out of school. Pull yourself out of this. Get away from everything and run away when Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. We want to be wise, but we don't need to live in fear. As a matter of fact, there's supposed to be a hope that we have that the world says, what is up with you? And can I have some of that? The second one is this. God knows. I have said this so many times. I wrote this point, and I'm like, people are going to be like, dude, you say this all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with that. God knows the number of your days, and God knows your name. You know, this is the gospel. Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own knows me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. That's us. And I have other sheep that are not yet in this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. No matter your country of origin, no matter the language that you learn to speak as a child, no matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, no matter how big a house you wake up in, Jesus defeated evil on your behalf so you would know this. Your present physical reality doesn't determine your spiritual reality. Just because things look this way doesn't mean you are a less than person or that God doesn't fully know where you're at and he has his love for you. That's why when you read the book of Acts, which is the book right after the Gospels, things get worse. Stephen, for being a follower of Jesus, gets killed. But he knew these things. His heart was guarded. That's why as he, right before he died, he looked up into heaven. And he says, I see the Lord. And he was cheering him on. Come on, Stephen, you got this. Finish strong, buddy. And he looked up, and he was the first martyr. That's why Paul could continue with joy, even though all of these things happened. We read about him in the, in the rest of the New Testament. He was... In, imprisoned and eventually was killed for his faith but he continued with joy this is why john one of the four who was on the mount of olives with jesus who wrote the book of revelation this is why he could endure his exile and imprisonment 
because Jesus in that place gave them visions of the new. This is why millions of people have stepped off into eternity with joy in their hearts. I am amazed at the stories I read in, in war and different times where people become followers of Jesus because of the way Christians die. They say they die different knowing where they're going. And I'm like, you know, what would it look like in a world where people don't come to know Jesus by the way Christians die, but the, by the way we live? So this is why we, people living in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that is both already here and yet not all the way here still, we can come together and we can sing songs like we sang. And we can sing songs like the ones we're going to sing. And we can gather in life groups. And we can say, I don't know, but here's some tough things going on in the world, but God's got it factored in. So let's pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray even though our bodies are breaking down. Let's pray for healing. Let's pray that God would give us visions of what he would want to do in our city. Let's pray he would draw all people unto himself. Let's pray he would restore our hearts. Even though the the world is perishing, God is creating newness, both in us and around us. That's why we come together, we do what we do, because he who is in us is greater than the one who will be the greatest in the world one day. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's stand, let's pray, let's sing this song. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for your teaching. We thank you, Jesus, that you show that you know what's going on. You teach, you say things that haven't happened yet as if they've already happened. You say that everyone that will follow you, their names are already written down in heaven. And yet you still say, Whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth would be saved. You still give an opportunity to respond. That is something that only God can do. So, Lord, as we're in this moment, um, we want to respond to you. We respond to you with this praise song. It comes from a place that's deeper than our brains. It comes from our spirit. So our brains may not even comprehend it, but we're going to sing it as best we can as an act of worship to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.